Well, Geyer Springs First Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples who love God and love others. Are you where you can say that with me yet? Have you heard it enough? Let's try it. Geyer Springs First Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples who love God and love others. I hope that's getting ingrained in our hearts and our minds as we seek to fulfill the vision God has given us to accomplish his purposes here uh, in central Arkansas and also globally all around the world. Now, you're wondering about this. Those of you that know me know that I know nothing about the game. It's okay. 1961, Green Bay Packers, first day of training in July. Previous year, they had lost the NFL championship. They led until the fourth quarter. They blew their lead and lost to the Philadelphia Eagles. Vince Lombardi walked in that first day of training camp, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football What was he saying? We got to get back to the fundamentals, back to the basics. He had them open their uh, playbooks, not to where they left off, not to new plays. He had them open their playbooks to page one. And they talked about the fundamentals, blocking and tackling and all the different fundamentals of the game. That next year, NFL championship, they beat the Giants 37 to zero. Vince Lombardi never had another losing season. In fact, over the next seven years, they won five of the NFL championships. And today, the Super Bowl champions get what trophy? The Vince Lombardi trophy. Vince Lombardi understood the importance of the fundamentals. He understood that fundamentals matter. And I'm here to say to you this morning, they don't just matter in sports, obviously. They matter in business and in life, and they certainly matter in the practice of our faith. So this morning, we're beginning a series that will go for the next several weeks of this fall. We're beginning a series simply titled Foundations. Now, you may be new to this church. You may be new to following Christ. You may have been walking with Christ for many years. You, we have some members of, the, of this church that are here today that have been here for decades. But regardless, we all need to review the fundamentals on a regular basis. What are the fundamentals of our faith? As a result of this study, I want your faith to be more sound, and I want you to be able to uh, clearly and simply articulate what we believe. Now, there's a word that we usually use to talk about our beliefs, and and I'm going to try to stay away from this during this series, but it's the word doctrine. If I had announced last week, I'm going to be preaching on doctrine the next several weeks, that would have scared some of you off, and the rest of you probably would have showed up with a pillow and blanket Uh, every Sunday morning. Doctrinal study can be very deep, but doctrinal study can also, our doctrine can be grasped by the newest or the youngest believer. Our foundations explain what we believe about the Word of God. They explain what we believe about God himself, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Our foundations, our doctrine explains what is true about man and about sin and salvation. And our uh, doctrine tells us why we exist as a church, what we're to be doing, why we have ordinances like baptism and the Lord's Supper. So let me just say, if the word doctrine scares you, if you're thinking about inviting a friend to church over the next several weeks, you can just say we're studying the foundational truths or, or beliefs that are the basis of our faith. And I wanna make clear this morning Uh, because there's so much confusion in so many different groups um, that claim to be biblical or or Christian groups, foundational truths do not change. They don't change. 
Genuine Christian faith is always the same. Our core beliefs do not change over time. Our core beliefs do not change from church to church or person to person. What you're hearing the next several weeks, if you go to another church and you hear something different than what you're hearing the next several weeks that is based entirely out of Scripture, you better beware. Core beliefs don't change. They don't change as the culture changes. And the reason for that is our core beliefs come from the Bible, from the Word of God. God never changes. God's Word, His Word never changes. His redemptive purposes never change. Our core beliefs are what they are, what they've always been, what they always will be. We're not going to ever change them. We're not going to ever adapt them. We can't do that if we're going to be people of the book, if we're going to follow God and his word. Now, I hope even if you're not normally a note taker, that over the next several weeks, you might jot some things down. You might jot down the scripture references that you'll see on the screen. You might jot down, we just put some key points up to help you follow. You might jot some of those down. But let me say, if you're really um, unsure or new or don't understand what we believe, there are a couple of good sources for you to go to look at to understand what we believe. The first is our website. If you go to the gsfpc.org website and you click on the menu icon up in the top right corner and then you go down to experience, um, or, or explore Geyer Springs and click on our beliefs, you can see what we believe as a church. And we put those out there because we want anyone, not just within our church, we want anyone to be able to know what we believe. It's really important in this day and age, it's much easier to check out the belief system of any group that you're going to affiliate with. But the second thing you can do is you can Google Baptist Faith and Message. As Southern Baptists, we have a document called the Baptist Faith and Message, and it addresses 18 different articles of our faith. We're not going to cover all those this fall, but it addresses 18 different articles of our faith, and it gives you the scriptural basis. It shows you from God's Word where that comes from. But, but let me say this about us as Southern Baptists. I want to make this very clear. Our doctrine here at Geyer Springs First Baptist Church, our doctrine is not Southern Baptist. Our doctrine, our teaching, our core beliefs is New Testament biblical beliefs. I say this uh, every time we have a Discover class when I'm teaching and when I'm teaching on relationship with God and baptism, I pause at the point of baptism and explain to people, we baptize by immersion, not because we're Baptist. We baptize by immersion because we are a New Testament church and the New Testament teaches that when a person comes to faith in Christ, they are baptized by immersion. So what you hear me share the next several weeks is not unique to us as Southern Baptists. Hopefully, most Southern Baptist churches that are affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention hold to these beliefs. Some of them get off track, get off course. But for us, as Geyer Springs, we are looking at and studying New Testament foundations and fundamentals and core beliefs. That's what we're about. So let's start. If we're going to talk about our foundations, we've got to start with the most important vital part, the very base of that foundation, and that is the Word of God. Everything we believe, everything that we live out in faith and practice here rests on the truth of God's Word. It's not our thoughts. It's not our experiences. It's not, not our culture. God's Word is, is true. But more than that, God's Word is truth. What, what do I mean by that? God's word is the source. 
The only way you can know that something is true is to have a source to go to, and God's word is true, but more than that, it is the source of all truth. If you want to determine if something is true, then you hold it up to the truth or to the standard. There is no other standard for truth. This is truth. Everything else needs to be held up to this standard, to this truth, for you to know if it's true. Well, our, our primary text um, for this week and next is in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to throw you several references during the message this morning, but our primary text is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, we're just going to unpack that first phrase this week. All Scripture is breathed out by God. I love the way the King James also says it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that mean? It means the words in the Bible, all the words in the Bible are God's words. Every word. It's God's words. These words are not thoughts or ideas of the authors who physically wrote them down on parchment. It's not their ideas. It's not their thoughts. It's not, the Bible's not written by men writing down some insightful things about God. They are the words of God. In fact, if you'll go through the Old Testament, you will find there are four particular phrases. The word of God, God spoke, the word of the Lord, or the Lord said, in the Old Testament, those phrases are used over 3,800 times. Listen, either the Bible is from God and it is his words, or it is a huge collection of lies. All of it is the word of God. Now, we know that God used 40 different men. Those men were from various professions and various walks of life. We know that those 40 different men wrote down the words of God over a period of 1,500 years. And yet, those 40 men from different professions, different walks of life over a period of 1,500 years, what they wrote down, you see through Scripture, there's one theme. There's one message. It is completely unified. Why? Because the Bible is not the words of those 40 different men. The Bible is the Word of God. Every word in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, every word is inspired. It's been given to men by God. You can have great faith in the Word of God. I want to share with you seven attributes this morning that I hope you'll be able to kind of retain. They're, they're pretty short. You could jot them down. Seven attributes about the Word of God that will give you great courage in your faith in God's Word. Attribute number one, the Bible has total authority. It has total authority. Why? Because it's God's authority. Again, God used the personalities and the skills and the backgrounds and the training of, of the different authors. In fact, you can recognize a particular uh, writing style. When, when uh, the early church, and I don't mean the early church in the time of the New Testament, after that, when they were trying to figure out if they didn't know, if it didn't mention in a particular letter who the author was, they could usually tell by the way it was written who the author was. So God used the personalities and, and the gifts and the skills and the backgrounds of these different men who wrote the words down, but the words were given and inspired by God. He worked through their personality. He didn't just give them a thought and let them go crazy with it. He gave them the words. 
First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you'll hear me pray before we start. I'll ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you open this book up? Would you help us understand this book? Because really, when you think about it, he was the author. It's his words that were given to men. And so anything you hear declared on matters of faith has no authority apart from the Bible. God's authority is final. Why? Because he's God. It's like your parents saying, because I said so. His authority is final because he's God. Listen, here's the definition of authority. The power or right to control, command, or determine. Well, why does God have the power or right to control or demand or determine? Why does he have that right? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. God has the right and only God. No man can set himself up as authority. No church can, no tradition can, no human source can set itself up as an authority over God. If God is not the ultimate authority, he's not God. If you don't accept him as the ultimate authority, then you don't believe that he is God. God is the ultimate authority. The Bible is his word. The Bible is truth, every word of it. And so the Bible speaks as God's ultimate authority. Well, how do we respond to that? We could say a lot more about this, but our role as Christ followers is to study and to seek to understand the Word of God so that we're obeying the words of Scripture and therefore obeying God himself. That's how we respond to the authority of the Bible. Secondly, second attribute, the Bible is not only the ultimate authority. Number two, the Bible is infallible. It's infallible. Isaiah 55, 11, God said, my word will not return to me empty or void, but it will accomplish my purposes. The Bible, the word of God never fails. We can trust our lives to every word of scripture. We can know that every command that God has given in scripture is for our good. And we need to come to the understanding and realization because in our day, people seem to treat the Bible like a cafeteria uh, buffet, picking and choosing. No, either every word in the Bible, every teaching can be trusted and should be obeyed, but if every word can't be trusted, then none of the words can be trusted. God's is infallible. God's word is infallible. It's authoritative. It's infallible. Number three, the Bible is inerrant. Boy, that's really up to debate in our culture today. Even among groups that profess to be people of the Bible, even among groups that profess to be Christian, that's, that's debatable. Let me tell you, for me it's not, and as long as I'm leading this church, it'll not be debatable here ever. An inerrant book indicates a perfect author. If the author's not perfect, the author can't write down inerrant words, but because God is perfect, his word is perfect, the Bible is truth, there is no error of any kind in our Bible. So it's our absolute authority, and if it's our absolute authority, there can be no error in it. Let me tell you, if you deny the inerrancy of the Bible, you deny the authority and the perfection of God. And I would say that to the face of any pastor, any leader of any group that denies inerrancy, I would say to his face, you are denying the authority and the perfection of God. 
The Bible's authoritative. It's infallible. It's inerrant. Number four, it is eternal. God's word will endure forever. You know, Scripture says there are only three things that will last in eternity. The word of God, the souls of men, and godly character. That's what we need to be investing our lives in. You want a good retirement plan? Here's what you need to invest in. The word of God, the souls of men, and godly character. Your godly character, the souls of men that you reach for the gospel, and building the word of God in your life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. All flesh is like grass. And all its glory is like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. Let me tell you a couple of ways the word of God is eternal. First of all, it's indestructible. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says the word of God will stand forever. In AD 303, the Roman emperor Diocletian wanted to wipe out Christianity and he got some good advice that if he could get rid of the Bibles, Christianity would go away. And so Diocletian outlawed the Bible. He had all the Bibles they could find destroyed. And he got to a point where he felt like he had succeeded. And he even built a monument that said, Extincto Nomine Christianorum. The name Christian is extinct. He thought in AD 303 he had wiped out Christianity. But less than 10 years later, in AD 312, Emperor Constantine had all the pagan symbols removed from the land and replaced with what? The cross. Voltaire in the 18th century predicted that within 100 years, there would not be a Bible in the earth. 20 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society purchased his house and set up a printing press in his house to print Bibles. And they were distributed all over Europe. This word's eternal. Let me, let me give you a word of encouragement. I wish we could dig in a little bit deeper here. You may wonder, well, what about all the copies made? What about all the translations? God, through the years, has preserved his word through the copies and through the translations. I wish I could explain to you all the extraordinary steps and care that copyists had to go through when they were copying down. Those original manuscripts on the parchment wouldn't last long, so they had to recopy them. But listen, they would count every letter. They would count uh, every line. They would check and recheck. If a copyist... Oh, they also had to purify themselves. They had to go through all these cleaning rituals and have clean clothes. If a copyist was, was copying the scripture and was writing the name of God, he was not to be interrupted or even pay attention if even the king was speaking to him. So he wouldn't lose focus, so he'd be careful what he wrote. Well, what about all the translations we have? Are there some translations that are not accurate? Yes, but we can easily distinguish that and determine that because there are thousands of manuscripts and fragments dating back. You know, we have a Greek, complete Greek New Testament from 350 AD, that far back, so we can go back and compare it to it. By the way, while I'm on that, Doug Nielsen, are you back here? Was he here today? Oh, Doug's over here. You guys in the venue can't see him, but he's over there. Doug Nielsen has given an incredible gift to our church from his many, many years of study in, in the second floor up over here in the education building, in the second floor hallway, down both sides of that hallway, you can go up and see how we got the Bible that we have today. He's gone through and documented all of that. And one of the things you'll see on that hallway is we have a complete Greek New Testament from 350 AD. God through the copyists and through the translation, God has carefully preserved his word. His word is eternal. Fifth, because the Bible is God's perfect word, it is clear. 
In Ephesians 5, Paul said in verse 17, therefore, what's the therefore referring to? What came before it? Prior to verse 17, he's telling us we ought to live wisely. Therefore, if you're going to live wisely, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Listen, if God tells us, if God commands us to know his will and to live according to his will, he's not going to make it too difficult for us to understand. Romans 12, 2. Paul said, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're to know and be able to fulfill God's will in our lives. How does that happen? By renewing our minds. How do we renew our minds? By filling up with Scripture. Listen, you won't know the will of God until you know the Word of God. You won't know the will of God until you know the word of God. God wants you to know his will, to know his purpose for his life. He will make it clear through his word, but if you don't know the word of God, you won't know the will of God, and you'll spend your life frustrated because you can't seem to fulfill your purpose because you're, you're, you're being a hammer that's trying to be a steak knife. That'd be a mess, wouldn't it? God's word has been written so that anyone anyone can know what is necessary to become a Christian and to live as a follower of Christ. Anyone. Some believers say, well, I'm not smart enough. I don't understand God's word. I I can't comprehend it. If that's you, here's a verse to you. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, listen, making wise the simple. God's word is clear. He's made his words clear. Yes, there are some some deep truths that are a little more difficult to mine and to dig out, but the more time you spend in God's word, the more clarity and the more understanding you have. Listen, I don't understand the IRS code, do you? Who understands it? The guys who wrote it and the agents who spent hours studying it. You have to spend time to get clarity and to get understanding. Now, you're going to have someone say to you, a skeptic say to you, well, if you say God's word is clear, how come there's so many contradictions? Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. There are no contradictions in Scripture. There are no contradictions in Scripture. Say it with me. There are no contradictions in Scripture. Listen. I don't say that on my authority. I say that because God does not contradict himself. He's unchanging. And God's word can't be inerrant and infallible if if it's full of contradictions. I'm going to tell you, the people who claim, and they're much smarter than I am, the people who try to claim their contradictions have not thoroughly studied the word of God. If there are apparent mistakes or contradictions, the problem is not with God's word, but with man. You know why people say they're contradictions? Or you know why I say the word is too difficult to understand? It's an excuse. They don't want to submit themselves to the lordship of Christ and to obedience to the word of God. It's just an excuse. Every one of us as believers have to prayerfully read the Bible and ask the Lord to reveal the truth of his words to us. Mark Twain Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain, once said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. And that's the question. 
with what is clear and made plain, are we being obedient? Are we obeying what's obvious? As we obey, God opens up more and more to us. Number six, because the Bible is God's word, it's necessary. For the believer, it's necessary. Everything you need to become a Christian is in the Word of God. Everything you need to know to live a life that honors God, which is what you were made for, is in the Word of God. Everything you need to grow as a Christian is clearly presented in the Word of God. And for a person to have meaning and purpose in life, to have hope, it's necessary to know God's Word. It's in God's Word we come to know Him and His purposes for us. It's in God's Word that we recognize our sin and we're told how we can be forgiven. It's in God's Word we know with certainty what God wants us to do. It's in God's Word that we know how to live the life that he made us for. God's word's necessary for the believer. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and process. How do we gain knowledge of him? From the word of God. And we have everything we need for a godly life. Jesus, Matthew 4, 4 said, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our spiritual lives, if you're not growing as a believer, you're not spending time in the word of God. Your spiritual life is nourished and is fed on God's word. God's word is clearly necessary for believers, so he has made it necessarily clear. You need the Word of God. Please don't stay away from the Word of God because you think it's too difficult, too hard to understand, you can't comprehend. No, he has made it necessarily clear because it is clearly necessary for the life of a believer. Number seven, because the Bible is God's Word. Doug, I'm getting hot, man. Can you give me a little cool up here? These people are getting me wound up. Yeah, number seven, the Bible as God's word is completely sufficient. It is all we need. The Bible contains everything we need to know to live a life that honors and pleases God. We read a few moments ago in 2 Timothy 3, 17 that scripture equips the believer for every good work. Everything God wants you to accomplish can be done if you follow the directions that are given. You don't need any other words of, uh, of instruction. You know that a lot of people think this book is antiquated today, but God, in his sovereignty, with his authority, God put down everything he wanted to tell people for all time about issues and situations they would face. It's all here in the Bible. We don't need any other book of instruction. Because it is completely sufficient, we're also not free to add to or subtract from the meaning of Scripture. If I ever come in this place and tell you that I've made some new spiritual discovery and I suggest that we make it part of our faith and practice as a church, you better find another church. I'm not kidding. There are many pastors who stand up and declare that they have some new truth and it's not founded in the Bible. It's not based on the authority of the Bible and they say that and people follow them. No, we're not to add to or take from the scripture for any reason. 
What have we said this morning? The Bible's authoritative. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's eternal. It's clear. It's necessary. It's sufficient for all mankind for all time. And if you don't believe those seven attributes, you don't believe the Bible. Don't tell people you do. If we disbelieve or disobey any part of the Bible, then we disbelieve or disobey God. Now, you're going to encounter some skeptics if you try to have a conversation and say, well, how do you really know? You're, you're just trying to prove the Bible using the words of the Bible, using the Bible's own words. Next week, I'm going to take a little bit of time and, and deal with that accusation. I want to give you some simple proofs outside of the Word of God that will encourage you in your own faith and also help you articulate the authority of Scripture to someone else. But, but one other thing before we wrap up today, I, I want to go back to something I said earlier. One of the proofs that speaks to the veracity and the authority of, of the Bible that you and I hold today, one of the proofs I mentioned earlier was the fact that 40 different authors, different professions, different walks of life, 40 different authors, authors over a span of 1,500 years wrote a unified message. That's clear proof there was only one source for this book. It wasn't 40 different sources. It was one source for this book. This book, the Bible, is God's own words. And what is that unified message? That unified message in the Bible is a message of redemption. Yes, the Bible speaks to the character and person of God. Yes, the Bible gives us instruction for life. Yes, the Bible gives us a view of the future. But the primary purpose of the Bible is the message of redemption. And you see it from Genesis to Revelation. You see it in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned against a holy God and yes, he kicked them out of the garden because he didn't want them eating from the tree of life after they'd eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what did he do before he kicked them out of the garden? Blood was shed. Did you ever think about that? Where do you think those skins came from that God put on them, that the clothing he gave them? Blood was shed. God provided for their needs. And all the way through the Old Testament, as you see the people of God continually turning away from him, God would bring judgment Sometimes they'd be carried off into captivity. They'd be conquered by an enemy nation. But the purpose of that was always to get them to return to him. He was continually redeeming his people. And then, of course, the entire message of the New Testament is about Christ coming to redeem us. That's the important, the most important message. The unified message of the Bible is redemption. And if you've not gotten that message that's your greatest point of need. Jesus came, and he lived in a human body with all its limitations, and he served and served and served. Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He died on that cross, the most excruciating form of death known to man. In fact, in the Latin, the word crucifixion comes from excruciate or excruciating. And he did that so that all of us could know him. But it's not an automatic free ticket to heaven. You have to come to the point of accepting the fact that you're a sinner and understanding that Christ paid for your sin because you could not pay for your own sin because you're a sinner. He was perfectly sinless. 
That's the only reason he could take our sin on him on the cross. And he did that for you, to pay for your sin. Because you can't be with God. You can't have a relationship with God now. You can't be with God in heaven if there's sin in your life. Because God is a holy God and he won't tolerate your sin in his presence. So Christ came and died for you so that you could know God in this life. And listen, you'll never find true meaning and purpose and hope in this life apart from Christ. You may think your life is going along swimmingly, your career is great, your marriage, your relationships are fine, but you will always have an empty place in you because you were made to honor God and to enjoy him forever. You can't live a life that honors God apart from Christ. That's the message of the Bible, that you might have a relationship with God now and for all of eternity. It's the message of redemption. And for many of you in this room who've already received that message of redemption and responded to Christ's uh, death, his, his sacrificial substitu substitutionary death for you on the cross, and you've made him Lord and Savior, that's great, but there's a world out there that doesn't know that. And I'll hit this more next week, but I think part of the reason the world is not sure about us is sometimes we don't live as people of this book. It's authoritative, it's infallible, it's inerrant, it's eternal, it's clear, it's necessary, it's sufficient. Those same attributes should be evident in our lives if we're living this book. And more than ever, we need to be living this book for a world that is in need, that is lost without Christ. Would you bow with me? I know we covered a lot of material today. You know, for me, just going back and reviewing and studying and writing and reminding myself of the attributes of God's word was an incredible uplift to my faith in knowing that I have not kissed my intellect or brains goodbye by putting my faith in God and his word. It's sound, it's trustworthy. When we gather, we, we always need to take some time and ask the Lord, what, what are you saying to me? What, what do you want me to do as a result of this? And so we're going to take a couple of minutes right now and do that here in this room and in the, in the venue as well. And those of you watching online, I encourage you as well, just, just to pause. If you need to bow your head to cut the distractions, just to come before the Lord. Maybe your struggle has been that you have not been truly convinced that the Bible's the ultimate authority, that it's inerrant, that it's sufficient. Maybe it's just pausing right now and saying, Lord, thank you for showing me, thank you for reminding me how trustworthy your word is. Help me to live it. Most of us would probably have to say there are certainly areas of our lives that are not in line with the word of God. And we don't have the option to pick and choose what commands and what truths and what teachings we'll obey or not. If we disbelieve or disobey any part of God's word, we disbelieve or disobey God. Maybe today for some of you it's just saying, God, I realize my life is not lined up with your word in, in this area. And it's a matter not only of confession but also of repentance, of change. 
And there may be one or two or three or, or more here this morning that have never responded to the message of redemption. Jesus died for all. That doesn't mean everyone automatically has a relationship with God and a home with him in eternity. You have to respond to the message. And that response is confessing that you're a sinner, believing that Jesus died to forgive your sin, and receiving him as Lord of life. Just a moment here and upstairs in the venue, there will be a time of response Please don't just sing the words of a song. Think about what you're singing. Think about what the Lord has spoken to you about and think about your response. The Holy Spirit, who authored this book, speaks. How do you need to respond or to obey?